When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to TMZ Movie Crashers. Welcome back to TMZ Movie Crashers. I'm your host, Paige Catton from 2Fab. And I'm Chantal from TMZ Socials. We are back. It has been two weeks since we've been on the podcast. It feels like even longer than that. It feels like a hot, like a, a month. It's been a hot minute. <laughs> hot minute. So we mm-hmm. got lots to talk about today. Um, so we were gone for the holiday, and then I got this horrible flu. It's going around. Avoid it at all costs. I was just telling everyone in the room to avoid it. It was gnarly. But I will say, the one perk, and this is why I'm mentioning it, the one perk about being sick is that I got to watch a lot of movies and TV. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's literally what I look forward to. The only thing I look forward to when I'm sick, I'm like on my couch with my Snuggie. Just, yeah, I get that. And I wanted to say something uh, real quick at the start of our um, episode today. You said something so sweet to me that I wanted to share because it was so, it was simple, but yet so wise. And I love that you said it to me. So Chantal and I, our our favorite form of communication is um, voice messages. <laughs> like if you know, you like literally so long. Like that's how we communicate is, our, is voice messages. It's like ninety percent of our our communication is through voice messages. And when I first came down with sick a couple of weeks ago, first came down the flu, when I sent you a voice message, and I was like, "Hello, like I'm sick." Like <laughs> it was like, bad. it was bad. Um, but then you sent me a really sweet voice message and you were saying, I hope you feel better and, you know, just really sweet things. And then one thing that you said, this is what I wanted to share because it's related. Um, you said um, something along the lines of, you know, watch movies that make your mind happy. Yes. And I loved that because, you know, you think like, oh, yeah, that's what comfort movies are for, that sort of thing. But because you like if your mind is happy, it'll help your body heal faster. It's and I true. loved that. So I wanted to share that with everyone because I thought that was really, really sweet. And really, again, it was like so wise. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like, it's oh. just my mind will be happy and then my body will be happy. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. So I just had to share that. But just like my general philosophy is if I'm like having like a really bad day or I'm physically feeling really run oh, down, same. I just got to make my brain feel feel happy and feel great and it, everything else follows. I mean, I do that like regularly with like emotional stuff, but I didn't really think about like having like a physical virus and then watching a movie to make me so feel better and I'm like yeah. this is just so simple like why didn't I think of this but the way you worded it was so sweet I just had to mention it oh yeah love you girl love you so um so it's been a minute so we have a lot to talk about um yes. first we're gonna get into um some of our mentions um just some news stories some headlines um just briefly we're gonna get into a couple of them um which they're not gonna be our main topics just some things that we want to um just chat about a tiny yeah. bit so the first thing is there has been a lot of trailers in the past week, two weeks. Um, we have been fed trailers. And I, for one, am a big trailer lover. Like, when I go to the movies, like, I love the previews. Some people are like, oh, my God, I'm going to skip the previews. No, no. I'm always there for the previews. Even now when I see movies almost every weekend and I'm seeing the same preview over and over again, oh, yeah. I love it. I love a good movie preview. And we got fed this week when it comes to trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna. I'm going to talk about... Cocaine Bear, Indiana Jones 5, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and Transformer Rise of the Beast. Um, also, another one was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which we're going to be talking about um, as a full segment. So we're not going to talk about that one right now. But Cocaine Bear. Okay. <laughs> we need to talk about this because people are 
freaking obsessed with this movie. Yeah. Um, it's directed by Elizabeth Banks, which that in itself is just kind of wild. Like she directed Pitch Perfect, and now she's directing Cocaine Bear. Talk about range. Talk about range. Um, so essentially, it's based on a true story, and everyone's like so obsessed with it. So. Um, the logline is it's inspired by the 1985 true story of a drug runner's plane crash, missing cocaine, and the black bear that ate it. Um, described as a dark comedy, the film finds an oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens converging in a Georgia forest where a 500-pound apex predator has ingested a staggering amount of cocaine and gone on a coke-fueled rampage for more blow, dot, 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 and blood. <laughs> I had to read a synopsis because some of these synopsis these days are, are like, amazing like whoever writes these like i know it's that's like actual job people do that but this one was just on point um this movie looks so ridiculous and outrageous but everyone's like like it's the most bonkers premise mm -hmm. and the fact that it was inspired by a true story of a bear that ingested cocaine inspired by loosely, loosely. Inspired it by literally by... is like back in the 80s a bear died of an overdose after finding cocaine in the woods exactly like, that's the true story and it was dropped from an airplane like, yeah there was There's no... no bear like killing people because it was high on cocaine um, luckily but yeah so excited about that i mean it's gonna be in theaters in february um but and for all those complaining that there are no more creative movies and yeah. everything's a remake literally like... definition of original i mean yeah it's loosely based on story but like it's creative uh, like i don't know if this came to like the i don't know who the screenwriter is but did it come to them in a dream like how did they just were like <laughs> when they read the news story and were like this is a movie like yeah so very excited to see that um that should be very interesting um briefly want to talk about transformers rise of the beast because i have seen like the first two transformers and then like that's mm. it um <clears throat> the other ones everyone said they weren't good like everyone's like don't even bother watching them they're not good yeah um but this one actually looks pretty good and a lot of the fans are really excited about it mm. because it focuses on Okay, I need, to, I need to look at this, uh, make sure I get this right. So it has to do with um, a 90, it's set in the 90s, and it's about the Autobots and a new breed of Transformer, the Maximals. And they're fighting the Autobots and the Decepticons with the Maximals, I guess. They're all in mm. some this huge um, all-out war, I guess. Um, it stars Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback. Anthony Ramos, fun fact, actually learned how to drive for the movie. He didn't know how to drive. Oh, my goodness. So the fact that you're in Transformers and, like, you learn how to drive to, like, drive a car in a movie like that's so wild it's literally like tino tuerta not knowing how to swim and then learning yes, to swim to play no, underwater 100%. it's exactly like that and i think <laughs> yeah. that's just so wild so i just had to Dedication. mention that and the trailer looks pretty good another one of the trending trailers yes. it looks interesting i'm loving the creativity of like the robots that turn into ginormous different wild beasts yeah and i gotta say like i was not a fan and i might get hate for this but i wasn't a fan of the original transformers films i just it was I just wasn't into it. I think visually, emotionally, it was all yeah. about robots and I just didn't connect with it. It, it is literally um, about robots. It's literally all about robots. But yeah. this is interesting and has a, a different spin. I'll definitely watch it. Um, but coming into it knowing I've only seen the first one and didn't really like it. Yeah. I've seen like yeah, I think the first two, but I don't think you really have to see the other ones to watch this. So um yeah, so it looks interesting. Thank and then goodness. um by far my favorite trailer um is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny that has yes. come out. It looks so freaking epic. Mm. Um, Harrison Ford is like de-aged in it. He's gonna be de-aged for the film. And the de-aging is like next level. Like yeah. it looks so realistic. And I was like, oh my God, he looks like he just did it in the first one. Like he looks so hot. Oh my like, goodness. I... I'm like, he's like 80. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he looks so hot. I'm like, well, it's like the de-aged, he looks hot. Pages into older men. Clearly. No, 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 no. <laughs> joking, no. joking. Um, but no, he really does. Like it's, and I've always liked him on screen. I've never found him super, <laughs> attractive but as indiana jones i'm always like yeah sir yeah <laughs> hello yeah <laughs> hello um i think he was hot as on solo 
I didn't. No. I think it might have also been the context of everything that Carrie Fisher's memoir said oh, about yeah. him. So, so it I like changed the perspective. Yeah. A little that bit. That makes yeah. sense. Um, so the footage in the um, in the trailer highlights, um, you know, the DH Ford, which will be featured in the movie's opening scene. There's clips of him cracking his whip, obviously iconic, um, punching Nazis and exploring tombs alongside Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is going to mm. par- uh, play his goddaughter in the film. Um, the film has a like all-star cast. You know, Antonio Banderas, Seanette Renner-Wilson, um, Toby Jones, Boyd Holbrook, Mads Mikkelsen. Um, and I have to note this. So John Williams is doing the score again. Okay. And he said he'll be retiring from film composing after this film comes out. Oh, that's such a beautiful conclusion. I know. And I just love John Williams. You know, like so many iconic themes. Harry Potter, obviously Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Jaws, I believe. Um, uh, There's just so many. And it's just like, oh, Jurassic Park. I was going to say there was another big one. Yeah. And he's in all of these. And so I think that's such a sweet thing that he's doing an Indiana Jones film with his last um, film score. Going to be a lot of tears next summer. I mean, he's like in his 90s. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I thought he would be, wouldn't he? Yeah. And he has, like, so many Oscars. Yeah, he's an icon. So um, that comes out in theaters in uh, June 30th, 2023. So we got a while for that mm-hmm. movie that is really in the future. But I have to mention it because I'm really hyped about this movie. It's um, Bong Joon-ho's Mickey 17 um, starring Robert Pattinson. The first teaser was dropped yesterday. Um, it's just a super tiny clip. I think they might even be still filming. It's a super short clip of him in some sort of like device in space. Mm-hmm. Looks like like some sort of like MRI like machine. That's what it looked like an MRI, mm-hmm. but it's obviously not. Um, some sort of thing. And that's it. Some sort of space adventure film. Um, but that that cast is stacked. Stephen Yen, Naomi Aki, Tony Collette, Mark Ruffalo are also in this movie. Um, but just the fact that it's Bong Joon Ho. I'm like after Parasite. I'm like I will watch anything this man makes. And the fact that it's Robert Pattinson, who I love, I'm like, yes, I'm into it. I'm here for it. Um, and that's not coming out till March 29th, 2024. When I saw 2024, I was like, ah, <laughs> fine. I guess we'll have to wait. Yeah. No, it looks great. And Robert Pattinson, just that one still of Robert Pattinson was trending on Twitter. Like, yeah, reposting it was, it. It was all so over good. Twitter. It's like a 10 second clip. Like, it's so mm-hmm. short. Um, but I just I had to mention all those trailers because there was just again, we got fed with the trailers. This we really week. did. Um, another thing that I just wanted to mention, um, this was a big story for the week. Um, the eman- a producer of Emancipation, uh, Joey McFarlane, was criticized for bringing um, a slave photo that inspired the film on the red carpet. So the photo is like known as a scorched back. The famous 1863 photograph depicts a man sitting facing away from the camera with lashed scars up and down in his back. Um, at the premiere, <clears throat> he told Variety that he brought it because he wanted a piece of Peter to be here tonight. Um, he received tons of backlash for bringing mm-hmm. that photo to the carpet. Um, he later apologized, writing this long apology. We have it up on TuFab if you want to check it out. Um, but he wrote in part, I wholeheart- wholeheartedly apologize to everyone I've offended by bringing a photograph of Peter to the Emancipation premiere. My intent was to honor this remarkable man and to remind the general public that his image not only brought about change in 1863, but still resonates and promotes change today. So, so yeah, there's there's that. But um, we're not going to really comment on that one because, you know, he apologized and everything, but um, people were not happy about it. And understandably, yeah. they weren't happy about it. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, this was kind of not last week, week before Thanksgiving weekend, um, but it was kind of big. So I feel like I, we have to mention it. So Disney's animated film Strange World mm. bombed at the box office, like really bad. Only le- earned $18 million in North America. Um, and the film had a $180 million budget. Jeez. So, you know... I love Disney, but they have no one to blame but themselves. The marketing for this film was horrible because yeah. there was barely any marketing. Yep. Um, 
Then there were two big stars attached, Jake Gyllenhaal and Gabrielle Union. I didn't know Gabrielle Union yes! was in it at all. I'd, I'd seen a couple Jake Gyllenhaal interviews, but even in those, they were very like, it kind of looked like the stars didn't really want to be there. No. It was a very strange and marketing then, And campaign. then they're talking about, oh my God, it's like horrible for Disney. I'm like, well, yeah, they didn't know marketing. No one knew about it. They give, they have yeah. given more marketing to Disney Plus films. So I was like, what was that? Yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to get into this, but thank God Bob Iger's back because he wouldn't have let this fly. Mm. But he's back now, and I don't, and I don't, I'm sure he wasn't happy about it. People were all the tweets, you know, like, oh, he's he's back because you know this this was horrible. Disney just set themselves up, set themselves up to fail with this. So I don't know, and I feel bad for everyone that was involved in the film, yeah, because like they didn't put any like they have the the marketing budget, obviously they have it. So I don't know where, why, what was the thought process behind that? And I definitely some of the critics were talking about how like it was people didn't go see it because it was too well not critics but people on Twitter were talking about how it was too woke because there was an LGBTQ character I'm like first of all just because there's an LGBTQ character doesn't mean that it is a film with any sort of agenda. It's just a character who is gay. Um, but second of all, the trailers. So the only reason I knew about this film was because when I went to watch movies, I saw the trailer. I didn't yeah. see anything on socials until like it bombed. But yeah. the trailers didn't even remotely lean into that. It was just a story that didn't really seem that interesting. No. And, you know, didn't really want to watch it, which is completely fair. But I do feel bad for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is kind of Disney adjacent, um, has to do with Zoe Zeldana talking about Marvel. She said she felt stuck in franchises for a decade. Um, she said, I feel like for the last 10 years of my life, I've just been stuck. I felt stuck doing these franchises. Um, and she says more of that's like what she said in part. Um, and honestly, like, yes, I understand her saying this. A lot of Marvel stars this before. She was obviously in this franchise for so long. But I feel like the timing of these comments, if she really wanted to say this stuff, don't say it before Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 came out. Don't say it before. She's literally in another franchise. She's in Avatar. Avatar. The second <laughs> yeah. one's coming out. Um, obviously, I'm assuming that's where this interview came from. She was talking yeah. Women's World Wear Daily. But I'm just thinking, like, why would she say this now? And she still has other Avatar films, at least mm -hmm. one other one after Way of Water, possibly more. Yeah. And, like, you're getting another another franchise. Don't talk, don't talk bad about franchise when you're still in one. Like, I thought that yeah. was so bizarre. I'm like, if you want to say this stuff, say it later. It was definitely a little strange. I will say within the the interview, she did mention that like there was a level of gratitude to it. It wasn't oh, she said, just sorry, like, I shouldn't have on it. She said I'm very grateful for the opportunities they provided. Sorry, I should have mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. But like I do like how she mentioned that, but I, I agree it is a bit of a weird time to bring it up considering she's at the center of multiple yeah. big franchises coming out in the net like within six months Isn't of each she other. In Star Trek too? Maybe. I never saw Star Trek, but I don't I know. I saw if she's the in. first film. Don't quote me on that. I don't yeah. know why I thought she was in one of those movies i feel like she was i feel like she was right mm. um but yeah so that's that and then Chantel, you have some more stories to chat about don't yes you? so um first of all ryan johnson the writer director of glass onion and eyes out mystery the sequel to 2019's knives out um is trying to push for a return to the theaters of the film so for context for those of you who don't know the film was released for a limited time starting november 23rd in cinemas for a week and it'll only then be released on Netflix starting December 23rd. Mm -hmm. um, in an interview with Insider, Ryan said, any theaters we can get it into at any point I'm pushing for, I want more people to have the opportunity to be able to watch it. Yeah. He does, however, think that if it does come out in cinemas again, it'll be after the Netflix release. Um, Glass Onion reportedly made an estimated 13 to 15 million during its single week in theaters. However, according to certain box office analysts, it could have made closer to 60 
million with a wider release. Damn. So I'm going to talk about Glass Onion a little later, but I just want to make a quick note that I 100% agree that this film needs to be seen in mm -hmm. the theaters. Like, it'll be great on Netflix, too. It's a compelling story. Yeah. But visually, it is such a stunning piece. And, you it's know, it's set in Greece, right? Yes. Yeah. And seeing it on the big screen really just draws you in yeah. and it really absorbed me. So really cool. But more on that later. Um, just flipping through my notes here. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Netflix did themselves such a disservice with mm. this. And, you know, the fact that they could have brought in a triple of of what they did make yeah. if they had it in theaters as a wide release. And, you know, they just need to get off, like, their high horse. Come on, Netflix. I don't know what they're <laughs> thinking. Um, and they've done, like, month-long releases in the past, but, yeah. but very not – it wasn't um, – I forgot what the word is, but it's not the amount of theaters that that this was at. So Knives right. Out was only a week, but it was at 700 theaters. Wow. Um, sorry, Glass Onion, Knives Out Mystery is what I meant. Um, but in the past, for like some like Oscar movies, they'll do like a month, but it'll only be in select theaters. Right. So I think I'm like, at least have done the month thing. The fact that it was only a week, I think, really bothered me. And personally, I felt attacked <laughs> because since I was sick, I had to cancel my Glass Onion <laughs> Knives Out tickets because I had them weeks in advance. And then I was like, I couldn't go. So I was like, I was like, I can't go in public. Um, and then on the last day, I was like, it was at theaters. The last day where I texted you. So I was like, oh, I feel better. Like I can try to go. And I looked for tickets and, and it was like the last night and the only tickets available were in the front row. And I'm like, so, okay, that's sold out in my mind. Okay. Like front yeah. row seats are open. That doesn't, that doesn't count. Um, and I was devastated because I was like, are you serious? And I have to wait to December 23rd. But the fact like the fact that people were going into the last day just shows how many people wanted to see this. The fact mm -hmm. that it made this much money in one week, like, come on, Netflix, read the numbers, read the room, look at the tweets. Like, come on. It, I hope they bring it back in theaters because yes, I will watch it on Netflix when it comes out, but I really would like to see it into theater as well. So I just wanted really to know that. Good. It was a great experience. And I don't remember, did Knives Out come out in theaters as well? Or was it yeah. just a Netflix? Okay. It, it was. was. It wasn't, it wasn't Netflix. Oh, yeah. Because Netflix then bought the rights yeah. to the the sequel. It was like sequels. something like crazy, like four hundred million or something yeah. nuts like no, that. No, true. With Daniel Craig for the sequels, yeah. But we'll talk more about that a little later. Yeah. Um, so next, Kiki Palmer is set to star in the action comedy Moxie for Amazon Studios. Hawkeye director Burt is on board to direct, and the script will be penned by Heather Quinn. And according to Deadline, the film is about a foul-mouthed stripper who pisses off the FBI in a big way when she somehow becomes the best candidate for their fancy new agent program. Oh my god! I did Sounds not see that. I did not see that in the article. Oh my god! I freaking love Kiki. I'm so excited so cool. for this. I'm so excited for this. And, and congrats on her. She announced her well. pregnancy. Oh, I love that for her. I love Kiki so much. So this, this literally, I'm like, I'm ready. Like opening night. Let's go. Oh, same. She's great in everything. Yeah. So excited for that. Yeah. Um, and in more casting news, director Ang Lee's son Mason Lee is going to play Bruce Lee in a bi in the biopic about the famous martial artist, which is going to be directed by Ang Lee. <laughs> um, in a statement, Ang Lee said of the movie, I feel compelled to tell the story of this brilliant, unique human being who yearned for belonging, possessed tremendous power in a 135-pound frame, and who, through tireless hard work, made impossible dreams into reality. And Mason Lee has a few film and, acting cr uh, film and TV credits to his name, so could be great. I'm yeah. excited to see where it goes. I just personally would be super stressed out to work that closely for that long with my dad. Like being directed <laughs> by your dad sounds like it'd be really, really stressful, yeah. but to each their own. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's going to be a wonderful yeah. film. Fan of a lot of Ang Lee's work. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we're excited about that. Yeah. Um, and the last piece of news we're going to talk about is a sad one. And yeah. unfortunately, Kirstie Alley has passed away at mm -hmm. age 71 after a private battle with cancer. Yeah. 
for, you know, most of you probably know this, but she rose to fame for her role in Cheers and later starred as the lead in Veronica's Closet. And some of her film work includes the Look Who's Talking movies, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Summer School, the 1995 Village of the Damned remake, Drop Dead Gorgeous, and For Richer or Poor, yeah. and the list goes on. So rest yeah. in peace to oh. R.I.P. Icon. Hollywood icon. Yes. And I think with that, we can move on to our big motion picture. Um, I know that was a big intro segment, but we had a lot to chat <laughs> it's about. It's been a few weeks. It's been a few weeks. We mm-hmm. had to play catch up a little bit. Um, so for the big motion picture, um, we're going to talk about Andrew Dominic, the director of Blonde. And we've talked about Blonde a lot on this podcast, especially when the film came out. Um, we had a lot to say about that. Um, but we need to discuss this because what he said was just so outrageous. Mm. He weighed in on the film's backlash because um, there was a lot of it, including from... Uh, from our podcast as well. So he spoke at the Red Sea International Film Festival in Saudi Arabia and said U.S. audiences were the worst and hated the movie, admitted he was expecting a critical success, but that no one would see the film. That's what he was expecting. Or in reality, a lot of people watched it, but hated it. Um, I'm just going to say what he said, and then we're going to dissect what he said and gave our opinion because it's just so like, I'm how is this real? How is this back. real that he said this stuff? It's just so toned down. He said... Blames the criticism on Americans wanting Marilyn to be, end quote, um, powerful woman, end quote, and to see a, quote, celebration, end quote, of her. And he says, now we're living in a time where it's important to present women as empowered and they want to reinvent Marilyn Monroe as an empowered woman. That's what they want to see. And if you're not showing that, then it upsets them. As for the claims that Blonde exploited Marilyn, I know this is like so disgusting. He said, It's kind of strange because she's dead. The movie doesn't make any difference in one way or another. What they really mean is that the film exploited their memory of her, their image of her, which is fair enough. But that's the whole idea of the movie. It's trying to take the iconography iconography? Why can I not say that word? (laughs) Of her life and put it into service of something else. It's trying to take things that you're familiar with and turning the meaning inside out. But that's what they don't want to see. And he also noted that as someone who came of age in the 80s in Australia, it was a solemn duty to offend your audience, to wrench them out of the complacency about things. And because of this, Dominic said he was actually really pleased that Blonde had outraged so many people. Literally vom. Like, what is up with this guy? Like, like, he's so demented. Like, what is going on? Okay, so... As mentioned, we talked about Blonde several times on this podcast. Um, and I have to mention, so since it's December of this time of year, you know, everywhere on the internet, there's best and worst lists, um, you know, favorite movies of the year, favorite TV shows, blah, 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 favorite performances. And this film is definitely on <laughs> my worst list, um, if not the worst film I've seen in recent years, if not one of the worst films I've ever seen. Ever seen. Um, but some of the things he said, I just... This stuff, I'm just so, I can't even put it into words because I'm so shook that he actually said these things. So kind of like breaking it down. So re him saying that he wanted, to, people wanted to see an empowered Marilyn. Mm. No, people just wanted to see her accurately representative. If not that, you want, you if you want to fictionalize her story, don't completely destroy her image and le- legacy with the misogynistic, disturbing, sexist, dehumanizing, oversexualized film and, and uh, portrayal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be in her being in power. Just like, don't do the opposite. We're not looking for a girl boss, Marilyn exactly. Monroe, who became a Hollywood exec and that's like ruled the industry. It. We know that's not what happened, but so much of her legacy 
is a lot of the tragedy that she went through. And this film not only fetishized her pain and her trauma to titillate the audiences or shock the audience, yeah. but like it also solely defined her exactly. by that trauma. Like it took every unsavory part of her life, her who she was, magnify it by like a hundred, yeah. and then made that the film. Exactly. And that that was it. And oh, just I'll let you finish here, but I just one note on oh, that yeah. is no. she threw like they for all the research they say they did. There's like where so I many see it. points where like <laughs> clearly that didn't happen, and a yeah. Google search will tell you that. And like the most obvious mm. one that kind of happened throughout the, the what a yeah. three hour four hour runtime oh. was Anna Dermis spoke like a child the whole time and sounded like this. And like uh, guys, she was an actress. Yeah. Marilyn was an actress. She put that voice on for her roles, and sometimes when she was playing a persona to the cameras, yeah, you listen to any inner like voice recording of her she sounds her voice is way deeper she just sounds like a normal woman so the fact that they infantilized her while also sexualizing her while also showing her sexual assault and everything under the sun under on this film on screen i just i have so much rage and it's so much so lingering disgust disgusting i was gonna say it's so disgusting <sighs> i completely agree with you no 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 i, I love it it's what we want um, we we need to we need to we need to get this out. We just, need to vent ah! this out. It's like therapy. Like I'm just so angered by his comments. Still. Um, other thing, um, when he said his response to people saying that the film exploits her because she's I did but it's okay because she's dead. Like, you could still exploit someone who's dead. Like, I don't know. And that's exactly what he did. The film is like the definition of exploitation, in my opinion. So I don't know, like he was just like, Oh yeah, you know, she's dead. So like it's doesn't fine. matter. Whatever. It's okay. And like it's not that, and his whole thing about, oh, we're just tainting people's memory of her, and that's what they're pissed about. It's like, no, the whole thing about Marilyn is that so much of her legacy, as I mentioned earlier, has been tainted by a lot of tragedy in her life, with her marriages, with, you know, yeah. alleged love affairs, with her family. We all know this about her. We know that she was, you know, trigger warning sexual assault, but sexually assaulted yeah. at a very young age, and there was a lot of parts of her life that were essentially tragic. We know all of it, and also her body and she have been immortalized as a sex symbol. So we already, all these things were already a part of her legacy. It's not like we thought she was this cookie cutter, all American housewife by any stretch of the imagination, but then to capitalize on that by like drawing out and magnifying these really horrific aspects of her life and like dramatizing them tenfold and for all of us to see, that is exploitation and that is disgusting. And I still, and I feel horrible about this because I know Anna Deramus is a good actress, but like when I watch her and other stuff, yeah. I watch Knives Out after I watch Glass Onion. Lol, I didn't watch it before Glass Onion. Um, more on that later. But she's when so I watched her, out. she's good, but I was just kind of like, ooh. It, now you have oof. that memory of her from I have Blonde. the ick. Oh. I have the ick, and I feel horrible because she is a talented yeah. actress, and I hate bringing other women down. But that film was, and it's not her fault. It's like, you know, no. you know she acted, but she didn't write the thing, but... Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That was another no, tangent. No, don't need to apologize. No, I think that's... I have so yeah. many feelings. I love... No, get it out. I'm trying I to love hold this. it back and be this. polite and be... <laughs> I love this discussion. I'm here for it. Um, you know, I think what rubbed me the wrong way the most... I mean, all of his comments did. But when he said that he was really pleased that the film outraged people. Like, I believe that the best films... And I've said this before on the podcast several times. The best films make us feel something right like mm -hmm. that's you know an, an obvious fact so whether that's happiness sadness pain fear even disgust yeah um but you know there's all, there needs to be like a balance right mm -hmm. and to be proud 
of how blonde is received absolutely nuts like is this man okay like i said is he like demented or does he have like a problem like mentally because you want people to like at least enjoy your film a little bit right Mm -hmm. or enjoy like you know want to watch it again or appraise it but the fact that he thought that that would that film would be critically acclaimed yeah like there's a way um i'm actually not gonna talk about this but you know an example would be like bones and all which is a great film by the way um, I'm not gonna be talking about it, but I just had to make it a point. But it has to do, it's like a cannibal love story, okay? So it's it's gross. Yeah. Like a lot of it's gross, but it's a love story and a coming of age story intertwined with the cannibal uh, the cannibalism. So those parts are like oh, like queasy, nauseating. Yeah. But it's not like that the whole film. Yeah. It goes in waves, right? So that stuff was hard to watch. But blonde, hard to watch, start to finish. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I, I struggle. I remember like Fabian had said that he had to like turn it off and then come back to it, and I had to do the yeah. same thing. Like, thank God that's a film. Thank God it was on Netflix. Yeah, and I didn't, thank God I didn't see it in theaters because I wouldn't have been able to sit through that. I like I had, to, out. I had to take and me too. I had yeah, to take yeah. breaks. So I think you need to have like he needed some. The balance was off. Like it was it was just disgusting from start to finish. Yeah, and it was just. It was horrible. I just don't, and I don't think he fully grasps why people are upset, and that's bothersome to me. Say, and the thing is, usually when there are these uncomfortable scenes, whether that is sexual assault or even like very intrusive sex scenes yeah. or scenes of abortion, like whatever it is, in film, there's usually a purpose to it. And as you said, it is limited. There is a very defined mm-hmm. and clear purpose. Um, and yes, it's shocking, but it kind of makes sense within the context of the story being told. This just felt like there was so much gratuitous nudity. It just felt like there was a sense of, mm, look, we're showing Marilyn, like, give President Kennedy head in oh. the most dehumanizing way possible. Oh my possible. God, I forgot about that. We're you just going, reminded me of that scene. No, of, it's, of, so like, it stuck to me. It's, it's like etched into my brain because I yeah. just physically was like, yeah. the other one that was the, when she got the abortion and you go into her, you, oh, when yeah. you go into her, I, I just... It is so intrusive and a violation of Marilyn's body in a way that I have, I don't think I've ever watched a movie that's Mm -mm, done that. And as you said earlier, this is one of the worst films I have ever seen. And the thing is, as you said, the reason he's like satisfied by this makes absolutely no sense. And there's some wire in his brain that isn't fully. And it's one thing being like a boomer who grew up in a different cultural context. Like, all right, I guess there's a level of understand him within that yeah. context. But this wasn't that. He no. fully violated this woman without, like, obviously put her naked body on screen without consent, not Anna, Marilyn, without consent, showed all these really intrusive procedures and situations. And it was vomit-inducing and uncomfortable. And remember I was eating dinner when I started the film, and I just, like, both my partner and I just, like, put the plate like, down. Done. And we're like, okay, no, thank you. We're done. We're done. Yeah. Horrible vomit, oh. gross. Yeah. So, Andrew Dominic, I will not be seeing your films. <laughs> not that future. I'd watch them before. This. Not that I. Yeah, I don't think I've never seen anything um, that he's done before. But after that, I'm like, it's gonna be a long time before I even consider seeing one of his films because that was just disgusting. Um, and I think with that, we can go on to our next segment. Moving on, much moving happier. On. <laughs> well, not 100 happy, but like different, different, um, different tone. Yes. Um, the Hollywood hoedown. Let's do our little lasso. Um, we are going to talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 trailer. It is still trending. It came out last week. Um, we got to break this down. Um, we actually have a, um, a clip from the trailer that we're going to show real quick. We'll all fly away together. One last time. Into the forever. 
just hearing it again. A little. I know. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> so, um, this is definitely one of the best trailers I've seen recently, and even even probably the best out of the ones that we discussed earlier. Um, and I, it's so emotional and and like broke my heart, and but yet it brought me in enough that I'm really excited to see the movie. Yes. Um, I'm a big fan of the Guardians films. I think that over time I've become more of a fan of them. Like at first mm. I was like, oh, I like the first one. Like it was nice. But the second one I really liked. And then I kind of fell in love more with the Guardians and Infinity War and, and um, um, Endgame. Endgame. God, I forgot the name for a second. Um, so let's just give the synopsis real quick. So according to Marvel, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 follows our beloved band of misfits are looking for a bit different these days in the film. Peter Quill, still reeling from the loss of Gamora, must rally his team around him to defend the universe along with protecting one of their own. A mission that, if not completed successfully, could quite possibly lead to the end of the Guardians as we know them. So the film has been teased by both cast members and director James Gunn, who of course now is a co-head of DC now, um, as the end of a trilogy, with many of them waxing poetic with their time in the franchise as if they won't return to the MCU again further down the line, such mm -hmm. as Zoe Saldana discussing about um, her time in the franchise. Um, but the footage really leans into that sentiment of this is the end of the trilogy. It's the end of their journey, as we mm -hmm. will see. Um, you know, Rocket says, voiced by Bradley Cooper, if you didn't know that, he says, we'll all fly away together one last time, mm -hmm. as we had in that clip there. That part of the trailer was just like, to the heart. To the heart. Um, the show, the footage, of course, showcases both the humor and the emotion of James Gunn. You know, he he's, he's really good at balancing that. Um, I think actually better than Taika, but that's a whole separate conversation. Um, and it teases Rocket's origin story, a lot of crying. Um, mm. That was in the clip as well, the, the portion of the trailer, and introduces Will Poulter's character, Adam Warlock. Warlock? Warlock, Warlock yeah. Warlock, which I'm excited about. And Rocket's otter girlfriend, Leela. I didn't realize that was his girlfriend until you told me. That's I was so like, oh. Cute. Yeah. Um, uh, Brian, our supervising producer at Too Fat, Brian Particelli, told me that. And I was like, oh my God, it's Aww. his girlfriend because they were made in the same lab. <laughs> Oh, and, um, you know, James Gunn previously said, this is the full story where I always intended to go. And he said, doesn't mean everyone dies. He said that as well. So what was your thoughts on the trailer? What are your thoughts about this film going forward? So two big things I did want to talk about were, first of all, I really think this seems like it's a film that pushes back against or will kind of disprove a lot of criticism that has been leveled at the MCU, but oh, also at superhero films in general, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of these things about like, you know, these are fantastical. And yes, it's fantastical. It's set in space. Yeah. But, and there's like a talking raccoon. Obviously. And obviously there's like an element of an fantasy. Otter, yeah. But like there is so much, it's very much grounded in an emotion and and, and this notion of family mm -hmm. and loss and love, which I yeah. think a lot of people will be able to relate to, especially after the last couple of years. So I do yeah. think that it's going to balance that element of like being fantastical and out of this world, literally, with being more grounded in emotion yeah. and and connecting with the audience, especially because we've known these characters for like 10 years. Yeah. Actually, Guardians is my first Marvel movie that I ever watched. Oh, so my God. So that must have a very special so, place in your heart. For sure. And, you know, I have a lot of things to say about the characters as they've Who's been your shown. favorite Guardian? Real quick. Oh, Nebula. Oh! After Endgame, oh I God, really enjoyed her. so funny. She's, and Mantis is adorable too, oh especially God. in the Christmas special. The special. So, so She's cute. so sweet in that, yeah. Um, so I'm excited for that. The one thing I had from this trailer, and I think I'm like alone in thinking this, is I was a little sad there wasn't a bit more humor. Like I know why well, there wanted, isn't. Yeah. And I just think that the first two films 
set, as you mentioned earlier, the stroke striked the perfect balance between humor and um, kind of compelling storytelling mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think a lot of other, I mean, Marvel's known for that kind of balance, but I think the Guardians but Sometimes film, the balance is off. Exactly. And Guardians, the scales are always pretty even. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know what's coming, you know what to yeah. expect. And I love the lighthearted moments that I, like, even at that last joke at the end of the trailer, that I don't think we showed it, but... I giggled. I laughed out loud. I was like, oh, that's cute. I was cracking so, up with Drax and the dodgeball he threw to the kid. Oh, my God. Drax <laughs> is iconic. I love him. Yeah. Um, so I think I was a bit sad that there wasn't, there's probably not going to be as much humor. It, it's, I'm simultaneously a bit sad because that's like what I've come to expect and enjoy yeah. about them. But also I'm happy that there is this story with so much emotional weight um, that's probably going to make us all sob like a baby. Um, and what you mentioned earlier as well is that it's a conclusion, which means that probably a few main characters are going to die and it's going to hurt. And from the rocket, from the trailer, it makes it seem like rocket might. Exactly what I wrote down. And it really seems like that. I'm hoping that, sorry to interrupt you, but no, I'm no. hoping that they're like doing that to make it seem like he's going to die, but he's actually not. Some people are saying that like Drax might be the person to die like originally yeah. people like like years ago they said because it's been years since the second people were thinking that it was going to be drax but then i was talking to brian who's like he much comic on like he's really um at two five he's a he's an expert and mm. he was saying that he thinks that rocket and drax are gonna die and i was like no so yeah why because <laughs> my voice just got high i was like it just i get that like, no. I, I i like drax better than rocket again i might be but like i still love rocket but a drax death would break my heart um, but then he be didn't wasn't were you the person say that he'd be with his family? Oh yeah, you're right. He did say that. Or as someone well. told me that. Yeah, yeah. Because in Infinity War, I think when he was, I forget there was a line in one of the films yeah, when and he said like, that he didn't care you. about dying. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just loved Dave Bautista, and I wanted to see <sighs> so more from his character. Um, and actually, it is likely though, because Dave, I think last year when talking to Ellen, yeah, talked he about said something before, but yeah, he was done after Volume Three. He's also like he's not a sprightly man at 35 anymore. Like. Yeah. And I'm assuming for all these actors, maintaining that physique must be exhausting. And it's been, it will have been 10 years because I think the first one came out in 2014. So I guess more than that. It's been over 10 years for them counting filming and working out. And so I, I'm assuming they're all a bit exhausted and the prosthetics probably aren't very comfortable. And so I think they're probably looking yeah. forward to it, which which is why I'm like, yeah, Drax probably will die. And who knows? I just, I want Nebula and more stuff. I so I hope she doesn't die. I'm really looking forward to it, but I know it's going to be a tearjerker. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also, real quick note to end this segment, I'm also really excited about Will Poulter. They only I showed him a little say. bit, but Will Poulter, I mean, he has had like a glow up. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm really excited to see his character. And he's like essentially mm -hmm. the villain, right? I think so, yes. Or that's involved how, with the villains. That's how yeah. he's being positioned as like, yeah. not the big bad, but uh, in there. Yeah, a, a villain of certain proportions. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that yeah. as well because he got like really jacked for oh, this. And, he got a and, whole and new set really, of fans. And he's such a talented actor. So I'm looking forward to see um, to see his character and see him in this film as well. So I yes. think with that, we can end our segment and head on to our last segment. What'd you see? What'd you think? Um, Chantal, you go first. What did you see this weekend? Sure. So I watch a ton of movies actually over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> we have not yes. been. Uh, we've not been doing the podcast. But the one I'll talk about today, as I mentioned earlier, is Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, uh, written and directed by Ryan Johnson. It's a sequel to 2019's Knives Out. Um, it had a limited theater release November 23rd, which is when I saw it, and it'll be on Netflix December 23rd. Mm -hmm. So the synopsis on to dumb reads: If Knives Out was about the murderous ties of flesh and blood. Glass Onion makes a good case for being just as wary of one's close friends. When tech billionaire Miles Braun, played by Edward Norton, 
invites some of his nearest and dearest for a getaway on his private Greek island, it soon becomes clear that all is not perfect in paradise. And when someone turns up dead, well, who better than Blanc to peel back the layers of intrigue? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. So Daniel Craig returns as uh, Excellent delivery on that. I just had to say that. Thank you. I felt like I was recording an audio I know. I love <laughs> that. I was like, I'm into this. Yeah, um, so Daniel Craig returns as a Detective Benoit Blanc. And the ensemble cast, all-star cast, includes all Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, um, Jessica Henwick, and Madeline Klein. And I gotta say, they're all wonderful, but to me, Janelle Monet and Kate Hudson yeah. stood out. And I won't say why, because it'll probably it will spoil a bunch of stuff, but um, they I were I just have really to good. thank you because I've told you this several times, but thank you so much for doing a spoiler-free yes. review for my benefit. I, <laughs> I was like, you're like, is it okay if I talk about night to about Glass Onion, even though you haven't seen it? And I was like, yes, just just don't spoil it too much. I just don't want to know who dies. Yes. So <laughs> and who kills? Who's the killer? I was going to actually preface my review by saying if I sound a little disjointed, if I'm reading off of notes a lot, I apologize She's because doing it for I specifically wrote spoiler. out points to like talk about it enough yeah. that it's not super vague, but also not spoil it for Paige and yeah. for all y'all out there who really need to see this December 23rd. Yeah. Um, and also on the note of cast, there's a few celebrity cameos that are that made the cinema. I heard there's one like, in the end credits. Um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the end credits. I think there probably was. I'm okay. remembering a couple like earlier in the yep. film, um, but oh like God, people were wait. like giggling. Some people gasped. It was they're fun, and there's <sighs> a lot wait. of fun little teasers to expect. Um, so we got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes and positive reviews across many major publications. With one review, an insider going as far as to say that it's better than the first one. Mm. And I have to agree. Um, I'll preface this by saying that I only watched Knives Out after I watched Glass yeah. Onion. I don't remember why. Actually, I do remember why. So this is also important to my review is I am a really big fan of Agatha Christie novels, specifically Detective Poirot. And I think I'd read that um, Benoit Blanc and, and the Knives Out you know, 2019 was kind of based off of Agatha Christie novels. And I was like. I don't really. I don't know if I. I haven't it's watched. Definitely Agatha. has. It's it's definitely um inspired. Exactly. Yeah. Um and I you know I haven't really even watched Agatha Christie novel films. Yeah, so like kind of exactly. I think that's why I didn't watch it. Yeah. But I want to say I loved how Glass Onion subverted so many tropes and expectations from detective stories and murder oh, wow. mystery <clears throat> novels. Um. It was the perfect balance of humor, mystery, and emotional and moral complexity. And it's set in 2020. And so there's so many callbacks and references to like early pandemic like bubbles and like, oh, can I hug? Can I not hug? Some people wearing masks and being really stressed. Others being like, that's fine. I don't care. Um, That's so funny. There's one scene where they have this kind of like, um, basically it's set on an island and they have to all come onto this boat to get there. And before getting on the boat, um, Ed Norton's character's assistant like injects them with this thing, which I guess is kind of like a vaccine, but it's down your throat to make them just like immune and like COVID is no longer a problem. So all these little references I remember made me giggle, also made That's me a funny. little stressed because yeah. 2020 was not it. Um, but moving on, from that. <laughs> literally, that's yeah. why watching it is kind of funny, but also a little bit like, oh, yeah. please stop. Um, so there is a giant twist, which I won't spoil, but the theater gasped. Like, <gasps> loved that. Gasped. Um, and it was fun to see Daniel Craig as someone who was completely different to James Bond. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, I mean, but isn't just like because you hadn't seen Knives Out before, but his yes. accent. 
is just hilarious. So it was definitely jarring at first. It took Isn't me it, a like, minute. Isn't it like overwhelming? You're like, where yeah. is this Kentucky drawl like coming from? Exactly. And, and it's not a very stereotypical drawl. It's it's very pronounced and very deliberate. So it took me a sec to get used to it. I was like, wait, he's not he's not being British or he's not with a New York accent? Like, what yeah. is this? Um, but I will say that usually in these detective stories, you know, I'm talking Sherlock Holmes, um, Detective Poirot, the, de- the, the detective is kind of, he seems like he knows everything and is, is kind of all-knowing and kind of like a savior character who has the whole story under his control. A Glass Onion really subverted that and changed that around. And he felt like he was still a very keen observer and knew what was going on, but he was more of someone who pushed the narrative forward but gave the characters the agency to do what needed to be done. Oh, I love that. So, which was, I think, very different to what he did in Knives Out. Okay. Um, Excited about that. And it's time to go through my notes. And, okay, so I wanted to say this. Who the killer is, in my, it, in my opinion, I think this is because I came into it thinking very analytically because I read a lot of the novels. It wasn't a gigantic mystery to me. Um, and I think it might have actually been written that way to make the audience come along on this journey in a way that was more engaged, which is why watching it in theaters was really interesting and yeah. a really unique and different experience. I didn't just feel like a spectator. I felt like I was sitting there thinking the whole time. Oh my God, I love that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it and I loved watching the ensemble interact with each other. It didn't feel like anyone was there to outshine anybody else. Obviously a few characters have a bit more weight and a bit more screen time, but everybody was given the opportunity to like really put themselves out there um, and and show off their acting chops. And it was wonderful. And I have a million things I want to say, but I know we are running out of time. So <laughs> all I'll end that, I'll end this uh, kind of no, no spoilers vague review by saying it's really interesting, a really cool, well-written piece that is very different to the first film. Um, and just oh, watch it. Watch it on Netflix. Hopefully it comes back to the cinema. It's going to be a wonderful experience and you will not regret it. Oh, I can't wait to see it. I'm so <laughs> excited to see it. Um, so I, too, watch a lot of movies, as I mentioned earlier, especially when I was sick. I watched everything from like Dune to like Before Sunset to like cheesy Netflix Christmas movies. Mm. They're all over the place. I was watching everything. Um but I'm going to talk about what I watched this weekend. I went to the movies, um, the theater, and I saw The Fablemans, mm. um, which has gotten a lot of Oscar buzz, which I'll get to in a second. But it's inspired by Steven Spielberg's childhood. Okay. And it's co-written and directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, so inspired by his childhood, how he fell in love with film after his parents first took him to see um, The Greatest Show on Earth when he was a kid. Mm. And it follows his relationship with his family, the struggles he faced growing up, and how, like, his love of film kind of folds into all of that. Right. Um, so the synopsis says, a deeply personal portrait of 20th century American childhood, Steven Spielberg's The Fablements is a coming-of-age story about a young man's discovery of a shattering family secret and the exploration of the power of movies to help us see the truth about each other and ourselves. Yeah. Um, there was actually a quote um, that I don't remember being in the movie, but I think it was used with pro- promotional material. And it's, um, um, movies are dreams that you never forget. And I wrote that down because I loved that. Um, so it stars this young actor who I haven't seen before, um, Gabriel LaBelle as Sammy Fableman, who's like basically like the Spielberg character. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle Williams plays his mother, Mitzi. Paul Dano, obviously a great actor as well, um, plays his father, Bert. And Seth, R- Seth Rogen is also in it. He plays like mm-hmm. his dad's best friend. They call him like Uncle Benny. I think that's what the, okay. his name is. Um, so I absolutely loved this film. Um, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful love letter to cinema. Um, 
it was emotional. It was moving. At times it was heartbreaking and just gut-wrenching, you know. Um, talking about make a movie that makes you feel something, I felt like, and it was, the only thing I will say real quick that I didn't love is that it was on the longer side, but all movies mm-hmm. are long these days. <laughs> so that's just whatever. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, but I even thought about, like, what would I, would I, what would I have cut out? But the, mm-hmm. every scene had a point. So I was like, okay, it needed to be this long, you know? Yeah. Um, again, it was, it's, you were so um, in intertwined and so into this story, engrossed in the story. I literally just, it's like it took you to getting the insight of um, Steven Spielberg's mind and like his childhood. And that mm-hmm. was just so moving. Like I said, it was so fascinating to see and learn Spielberg's story, how he fell in love with film, how his relationship with his family and his childhood shaped the person he is today. Mm-hmm. You know, just get, again, just getting into the inside look of the mind of a brilliant filmmaker was just so interesting. Yeah. Um, the actor who, like I said, Gabriel LaBelle, who plays Sammy, said in an interview that everything that happens to his character in the movie actually happened to Steven Spielberg. Oh. So it's like not, they didn't, I mean, obviously they probably took some artistic liberties, but the fact that like all the stuff that happens, I'm like, oh my God, that makes it even, I'm not going to say stuff that happens, but it breaks my heart because some things he went through, for example, he was bullied um, in when he was in high school in Northern California because he was Jewish, mm. like really bullied and like beat up bullied. Um, and so knowing that that actually happened to Steven Spielberg, like just makes it, because I, I heard this after. So now I'm like, okay, if I watch it again, I'm going to think about that. And it's even more gut wrenching. Um, yeah. The performances in this film were incredible, um, especially by LaBelle, who plays who plays Sammy and Michelle Williams. Um, there's been a lot of Oscar buzz with this film, as I mentioned. Um, it's one of the top contenders, arguably the front runner right now for Best Picture. Um, Spielberg um, for Best Director. He's the front runner for there. Um, Michelle Williams is predicted to get a nomination for Best Actress as well. Um, and I think Gabriel LaBelle should be in com- conversation for Best Actor. He is mm. really good in this film. He's obviously a young actor and they kind of get... Academy and a lot of um, guilds and stuff like that kind of like they don't often nominate like young actors. It's like mm-hmm. rare. But I think this he gives such an incredible performance like this kid's a star. Okay. Um, and I have to say this film is like, you know, like talking about rankings and things like that in the beginning of the of the um, our podcast today. You know, this film is like the number three spot for me. The best film I've seen this year. I still have others to see. Um, it's just behind Top Gun Maverick and number one is Everything Everywhere All at Once still. Mm. Um, but that might change because still got more to see. Um, but this film was incredible. Everyone should see it. If you love movies, if you love Spielberg, you're going to want to see this movie. And um, yeah, I think with that, we can end our podcast today. Um, check us out on Spotify. Um Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube. And um, we'll see you next time. See you next time.